Again, good morning, everyone. Currently, our sermon series is looking at the Lord of the Banquet as we investigate Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding at Canaan of Galilee. So let's begin today again by reading the text that's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of God. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, We have no wine. And, she said to her, and Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pot, pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill up the water pots with water. And so they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, they and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head, water, the head waiter called for the bridegroom and said to him, Every man who serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, and he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples and stayed there a few days. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, last week I mentioned that Jesus used weddings and wedding banquets in several of his parables to illustrate the truth about the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to look at some of these parables more closely as we consider the implications behind why Jesus chose the wedding of Canaan to be his first miracle. We first see a compassionate call. and In our first sermon of this series, we looked at those who were invited to the wedding and concluded that Mary, Jesus, and his brothers were all invited to the wedding because they were either close family friends or relatives. But Jesus' disciples were not family. As a matter of fact, the disciples probably didn't know the bride and groom, and the bride and groom probably didn't know the disciples. The fact is, is that Jesus' disciples were invited just a couple days prior to the wedding. See, Jesus' disciples were strangers at the wedding banquet. So why were strangers invited to a week-long celebration that included wine and a full course of food? And I believe that's because Jesus wanted to underscore the truth that in God's kingdom, strangers are welcomed to the banquet. And that's something that we should really be thankful for. Now, to illustrate to his disciples, as well as to you and I, that strangers are welcome to the banquet, Jesus told a parable 
about a certain man who was hosting a great feast, and he invited many to attend. But some of those whom he invited began to make excuses behind why they couldn't attend. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. The other one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. For that reason, I cannot come. Now, after hearing these excuses, Jesus continues the parable in telling that the host of the banquet told his servants to go out into the streets and the lanes of the city and to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The host of this great feast told his servants, quote, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Brothers and sisters, this is how God invites strangers to the banquet. His Holy Spirit goes out into the highway and the hedges of our heart and compels the spiritually impoverished, the spiritually disabled, and the spiritual, spiritually blind and lame to come into his house so that his house may be filled. What is important for us to understand this morning is that we are the spiritually impoverished. We are the, dis the spiritually disabled. We are the spiritually blind and lame. But by God's grace through Christ, the Holy Spirit has called us out, has compelled us out to become disciples of Christ members of God's household, members of God's family, and therefore we as strangers are welcome to the banquet. Amen? Amen? Now listen, the longer that we tell ourselves that we are spiritually rich, spiritually wealthy, and have need of nothing, the longer we will be outside of the banquet. But if we admit that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, then the Lord will welcome us into his banquet. It's just like Jesus taught us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? We need to have an eager expectation for the bridegroom to return. Last week, we focused on the wedding, and we reflected upon the redemptive parallel between the Jewish wedding ceremony and our relationship with Christ as his bride. And as you recall, we discovered that there were six Jewish marriage customs that could, that could be outlined in this redemptive parallel. First, the betrothed, is when the man and the woman are legally bound together as husband and wife, and this happens before they ever come together. 
Then after being betrothed to one another, the bride's father sets the price for the dowry and the groom has to pay that dowry to secure the marriage. After the dowry is paid, the groom returns to his father's house for a period for about six months. Now during this time, excuse me, 12 months, during this time, the bride makes herself ready for her bridegroom's return. And when that day finally comes, the groom dresses himself up in his best attire and is accompanied by his friends and makes a procession back to the home of his bride, singing and carrying torches. After arriving back to the home of his bride, the groom receives his bride, and then he escorts her to the wedding banquet, where they will begin their life together forever. Now, as we considered last week the redemptive significance of this wedding ceremony, we concluded that Christ has chosen us as his bride. We are betrothed to Christ. And God the Father, well, he set the price of the dowry. And the, the price that he set was the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Christ had to pay the dowry for his bride with his blood. Now, after Jesus paid the dowry to the Father, he returned to his Father's house in heaven in his ascension back into heaven. Now, today, we, the church, the bride of Christ, we're in this interval stage of the wedding ceremony. This is the time when the bride is making herself ready waiting for the bridegroom to return, when he will lead his bride to, in a heavenly procession to the wedding banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, to help us to understand the importance of making proper preparation for his return during this interval stage, Jesus told a parable about ten bridemaids who were waiting for the bridegroom's return. In the parable, Jesus tells that five of these bridesmaids were prudent, and they took oil in their flask along with their lamps, and they waited with eager expectation for the groom's return. But the other five ladies did not make proper preparation. They became lazy, drowsy, complacent, saying to themselves, the bridegroom is delayed. They were foolish and did not acquire the oil that was needed to keep watch for the bridegroom's return. But we see these bridegrooms did what many of us do. It's what the Old Testament cause calls taking ease in Zion. You become comfortable with your Christianity. You become comfortable with who you are. And you cease 
to make proper preparation. You become lazy in your prayers. You don't read, let alone study the Word of God. You neglect the assembling of ourselves together for worship. And you don't look to the Lord's Supper and baptism as a means by which you can be spiritually nourished. Taking ease in Zion is a temptation that each one of us as believers in Christ must really guard our hearts on. These five foolish ladies took ease in Zion. But at midnight, on one evening, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. But these foolish girls who had not prepared, well, they weren't ready. But those who had prepared and had this eager expectation of the bridegroom's return, well, they went with to the groom, were joined with the groom, and were able to enter into the marriage banquet. And Jesus says, but the door was shut. The point of the parable that Jesus is telling, well, he actually says it himself at the very conclusion of the parable. Be on alert, for you do not know the day or the hour. The point of the parable is that preparedness is essential, for the time is coming when getting ready will no longer be possible. The door will be shut. As the bride of Christ, we're called to make ourselves ready for the Lord's return. Christ, our bridegroom, desires for us to make use of his holy provision, prayer, fellowship, his sacraments, and especially his word to wash ourselves so that we might present ourselves in all our glory and without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Amen? I believe that as we eagerly await Christ's return, we should make ourselves ready by desiring Christ to scrub out all of our spots and to iron out all of our wrinkles. And as you know, each one of us has spots and wrinkles. The Lord desires to cleanse us from the impurities of this world world, by bathing us in his word of truth. So, as his bride, we should soak ourselves in his word and rid ourselves of our sinful spots. Brothers and sisters, know for certain that the New Testament is full of warnings about becoming spiritually complacent as we wait for our Lord Jesus to return. Just listen to a few of these verses. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Another, you too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The Lord will return for his bride, brothers and sisters. And the Lord is not slow 
about his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. He's not willing that any would perish or be shut out of the banquet, but for all to come to repentance. But know for certain that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? Because on that day, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Our bridegroom returns and he himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ. Those who have passed on before us will rise first. And if we are blessed to be alive on that day, then we who are alive and remain will will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This holy procession back into heaven. And therefore we shall always be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Know for certain that it will be in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Thank be to God. When Christ returns, he will escort his bride. He will escort believers in Christ. He will escort his disciples in a holy possession to the marriage supper of the Lamb. A bountiful banquet. I want you to see how God's word describes this bountiful banquet that we will participate in by God's grace. And a voice came from heaven saying, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like a voice of a multitude, like a sound of Many waters, like the sound of many pails of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, write, quote, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. The bountiful banquet that the Lord has prepared for his people. As I shared with the second service last week, thing I always tell every wedding party during the rehearsal is that it's all about the bride. I always tell them to line up in such a way that from the first to the last that they're at an angle so that they have a view of the bride. Have you ever noticed that nobody stands up when the groom comes into the room? That's the way it is with a marriage between a husband and wife. But on 
That day, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's not going to be about you, the bride. It's going to be about the groom, our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, well, we're just strangers by God's grace that's been invited to this bountiful banquet. The Song of Songs says it like this. He brought me into his banqueting hall and his banner over me is love. See how it's all about Christ? He brought me in. His banner over me is love. Jesus tells us as he taught his disciples that he is granted that you and I may eat and drink at his table in the coming kingdom. Can you believe it? Strangers like you and me. As Jesus received sinners and ate with them during his earthly ministry, so we see that at the marriage supper of a lamb, he'll do the same. But the difference is, at the marriage supper of the lamb, he will clothe us with fine linen, made white in the blood of Christ. Thanks be to God. Jesus told us when he instituted the Lord's Supper that he would never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when he drinks it new in the kingdom of God. Well, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus will lift his, his, his cup and he'll make a toast, and he'll drink of the fruit of the wine once again. Why? Because at that time, it's all been accomplished. It is finished. I believe that Jesus chose to launch his earthly ministry at the wedding feast in Canaan because it exemplifies the bountiful banquet that he has prepared for his bride, for you and I, in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lastly, I, I want you to notice that this bountiful banquet is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Today we call it a, rece a reception. It, really what it is, it's a marriage supper. After the ceremony, we get together, we have a meal, we give toast. This is what we do. We sing, we dance, we are just rejoicing in what the Lord has done in bringing a, this man and woman together. So... I want you to notice, though, it's not just called a marriage supper. I want you to notice it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And I believe it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb because it is as the Lamb of God that Christ has most fully displayed his love for the church. Possibly one could say that the Apostle John could have been more proper to distinguish Jesus in the book of Revelation, the book of victory, of completion, as the Lion of Judah. But what's amazing is the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle John to use the Lamb over and over and over again. Just do a little word search. How many times the Apostle John uses the term lamb to describe Jesus in the book of Revelation? Why is that? Because as the Lamb of God, we see that Jesus fully displays his love for his bride. Christ as the Lamb of God suffered for our sin. Christ, as Lamb of God, was slain for our forgiveness. Christ, as the Lamb of God, shed his blood so to seal our redemption in an eternal covenant. And what we see here in the marriage supper of the Lamb is that Christ delights to be eternally glorified as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Because on that day, when you're sitting at his table, at his banquet, you ain't going to have one piece of sin on you. And you will gaze at the Lamb, and you'll know why it is you're sitting there with fine linen. It's because of the Lamb of God. So let's join this myriads upon myriads and this thousands upon thousands that we read about in the book of Revelation, who with a loud voice declared, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Did I tell you to highlight that one? No? Uh, We'll get it for 11 o'clock. I'll get the house going then. Let me just read it for you one more time. Worthy is the Lamb. Well, won't you just repeat after me? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. On that day, it's all going to be about the groom. This morning we have a grand opportunity to profess our faith to one another, to ourselves, by receiving the Lord's Supper. The table set up behind me is the Lord's table. It's not the table of this church nor the table of this denomination. This is the Lord's table, and therefore... All those who are believers in Christ are called to receive from it. On this table are two simple elements, a piece of bread and a cup. 
bread symbolizing Jesus' body, which was broken for us, and the cup symbolizing his blood that was shed for us, the simple symbols of our faith, that we believe that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are the people of God. And the Bible tells us to receive the Lord's Supper, to receive it. But as we receive it, we are to be examining ourselves. So this morning, I'm calling upon each one of us to examine ourselves in three ways. One, has the Lord issued to you by his Holy Spirit a compassionate call? A compassionate call to surrender your life to him as Lord and Savior. A compassionate call to you to seek him, to work out your, his salvation in your heart and life. Is the, has the Lord called you? Is the Lord calling you by his compassion so that you could truly eat and drink to the fullness of God? Second, do you sense an eager expectation in your life of the Lord's coming? And this eager expectation has driven you to make proper preparation for the Lord's to come, that you would make yourself ready as the bride, using his holy provisions, prayer, fellowship, the sacraments, and most particularly his word, to really work out your spots and iron out your wrinkles. Have you received a compassionate call? Do you have an eager expectation for the Lord's return? And do you, are you looking forward to this bountiful banquet? That's your home. So as I prepare the table for us, I'd like for each one of us just quietly and reverently just pray to the Lord. How's the Lord speaking to you today? What areas do you need to firm up in your faith in Christ today? And then let's enjoy this little appetizer of the bountiful banquet that we'll receive in heaven. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord our God, we your people come to this table today with thankful hearts, realizing that we are strangers that we're spiritually impoverished, spiritually blind, naked, and that we need your provision of grace to cover our sins. Lord, I believe you have called me to be your child, a disciple of Christ. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin, come into my life. I claim you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, I believe you continue to speak to my heart about particular areas that I need to firm up in my faith. And Lord, today I come to you confessing those things and asking you, Lord, to send your spirit to enable me truly, truly to make proper preparation for your return. Lord, we come to this table today thanking you for your provisions of grace. And we pray, Lord, as we make this common confession together, that you will feed us and quench our thirst for righteousness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.